Welcome to the podcast where relationships, confidence, and determination all converge into an amazing heartfelt experience. This is Speaking from the Heart. Welcome to episode number 20 of Speaking from the Heart. Today, I am really fortunate to be able to talk to Ross Stockdale. Ross is one of the small business owners, just like myself, that I really enjoyed having this conversation that was real and to the point. He has served business owners in the Lancaster, Lebanon, Pennsylvania area for the last 10 years. He has lived in this area of South Central PA for the last 30 overall. He helps small businesses with their B2B service companies, which help to increase their net profit without breaking the bank in 12 months or less, as what is called fractional CMO, which we get into right at the start of the episode. He creates and executes winning marketing strategies to increase profit, and also decrease time and headaches. He has 10 years of progressive marketing leadership experience, has a proven track record of growing companies' net profit, and has increased SEO effectiveness, SEO being search engine optimization for those who are not familiar with the term, for over 200 service businesses. Ross was one of those people that I really got into digging what the future would be. And without giving too much away, I will say that for him, being the owner of Thunderstock Marketing, the company that he has started, he has definitely shown me that it's all about knowing who you are, knowing where you want to go, and having the great influencers be able to take you in the right direction, whether you are in a personal or professional endeavor. With that, let's go to the episode. All right, I'm here with Ross Stockdale. Ross, thanks for speaking from the heart with us today. Joshua, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure getting to know you before the show started, and I can't wait to dive right in. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation too, and just sharing some of our common interests as well. I really want to start off with a question about what you specifically do. I already let the audience know a lot about your background and what you do for a living, but can you tell us a little bit more about what you specifically do, especially as it relates to fractional CMO? Yeah, absolutely. Would love to go into that. I hit a juncture in my career last August when my first child was born. And I was a managing partner, a chief marketing officer, and founder of a private equity firm that grew from zero to 25 million assets under management within three years. And I was in the delivery room saying, this is not it. I love my job, but the stress and the time and everything that went involved with that current situation of private equity was not in alignment with my goals of fatherhood and being a good husband. So I knew that I needed to make a change. I loved being a business advisor in the capacity of helping small businesses grow as I knew it from my chief marketing officer position. So I knew I loved doing that position. And I had worked with a business partner that was a fractional chief financial officer. In other words, he had a book of business where he was the financial advisor to business owners. He got compensated very well. He got to do rewarding work on his time, flexible schedule. I got to work with who he wanted to on the terms he wanted to. I knew that I wanted to do that same model to marketing. And since last October, last September, that ballpark, 
I've been working on growing my own chief marketing officer fractional business. When you were thinking about starting this business, what were some of the things that you had to consider? In other words, were there any fears? Were there any aspirations that you had starting out that you wanted to have maybe in the first six months or a year of opening up? Can you tell us a little bit about that? I would say the hardest part was jumping off the ledge of the security that I had and already having a very established and successful position with the company and then jumping off the ledge and going out on my own and betting it all on myself. That would be the toughest step one. Who did you have in your life that you could lean on, especially as you were doing that? Because that is a big, scary jump. And I know personally myself starting earlier this year, my own business, that was the biggest thing I ever did. And now I feel really happy that I took the plunge. But I had some people along the way too. I was self-employed since quarter three of 2019, but it was self-employed with an asterisk because I had teamed up with business partners. This would be my first solopreneur. So it was at the first pretty lonely, but luckily I have a hardworking and loyal wife and I got to spend a lot of time with my newborn child at the time. So that was all the motivation of the world I needed. And luckily, where I'm at, geographically, I got to see my parents quite a bit, and they were my biggest fans and supporters. So I had a strong family network around, and being in South Central Pennsylvania for darn near my whole life, I knew a bunch of people. So luckily, I got to network with other solopreneurs and business owners. You working with other small business owners, what have you seen as some of the common challenges that they have, especially since you're dealing with marketing specifically? What do you think are some of the things that are still challenges, especially in this climate that we are? Because trying to get our name out there, get our voice out there, it can be often difficult. But what have you typically seen and how have you helped them to navigate through those challenges? I would Describe two challenges that I've seen as a recurring trend. Number one, in the area and the small business owners that I serve, on average, 90% plus are aging in a demographic where they'll be retiring within the next five years. Baby boomer businesses, there's a statistic I think it's interesting that in the next five to 10 years, $9 trillion of the economy will retire. So that means that the business has to go somewhere, whether that's closed down, whether that's being sold, a succession planning, something. Wow. So that applies definitely to South Central Pennsylvania business owners that they're at that cusp of retirement where they've either built something where they're very comfortable and change is scary and word of mouth referrals is all they've had to do before to grow it. And now the internet came and COVID came and made business a lot more difficult. So resistance to change due to the long-standing track record they've had is number one that I found as being a recurring challenge. And probably number two is business owners getting comfortable. I would say that 75% of business owners are technicians or people that love doing the activity and aren't not necessarily in it to just make profit like entrepreneurs or mercenaries like freelancers that just can't work for somebody else. That would keep the next 25% of business owners. I would say those, those two demographics. So the technicians love more than anything to invent 
leather good products. But because they're so good at inventing leather good products and they've built a business to a certain stage, that means they think they're also the world's best copywriter, the world's best SEO, the world's best salesperson. And they could be a great salesperson. But because they have control, they treat the business like their child, like that is their baby, their pride and joy. They don't have a detached impersonal perception on how to grow it objectively by looking at cold, hard numbers. Between the... And I don't want to, it's not a derogatory thing, but between the, this is how we did it in my day mentality and this is my baby, that breaking those false beliefs has been proven to be the most challenging and also the most rewarding if it happens, because then you see new heights and new breakthroughs that they may not have believed before they could have achieved. I shared with my guests in another episode that I, was diagnosed as autistic just a few months ago. And that shattered my whole worldview or perception of how to think about certain things. And it's interesting to hear you say that in the context of even business owners thinking, this is what I've worked for all my life. Like, you can't change this. Like, this is what I really enjoy. I think that this still has value. Well, yeah, it might to you, but not to everyone else. And you have to start to reframe the conversation a little bit when it comes to that. And I know that for a fact, personally, that that can be a challenge, especially somebody going through that myself right now. When you're working with even those business owners, how do you take that tactful approach? In other words, how do you deal with people that are really grown attached to them? Do you try to break it down for them, like you said, with the cold, hard numbers? Or do you try another approach? I've probably had to learn this lesson the hard way. And I have experience with hurting business owners' feelings, not because I am a mean person, but because I am just a objective, factually oriented person. And I thought that they looked at the business the same way that I did. So I had to learn that lesson the hard way. Okay. So my stance now is using the frame of bracing. If I have to give someone slightly uncomfortable news, I want them to be like, for example, I'll say, Joshua, I need you to just take a deep breath and sit down. I don't know if you're ready to hear this. Okay, I'm fine. What do I need to hear? Well, I'm going to be five minutes late for our podcast. Oh, no. It's taking the frame of mind, keeping it lighthearted, taking their business very seriously, but also delivering the bad news in a way that could be more digestible. As opposed to just saying, hey, if you continue doing what you're doing, the business won't exist in nine months. Like, you can't just deliver that. Boom. Crowd goes wild. It's just a bomb you can't drop. I like um, to call that the shoot from the hip concept that yeah. most people like to try to do, it, but it doesn't work. Nine chances out of 10. And to that same line of thinking with the framing and bracing, it's also really about who I work with. So because... I'm self-employed. I'm pretty choosy on who I work with. I've turned down plenty of prospects and say it's just not a good fit because I need the prospect to, before we sign anything, before we agree to work together, understand that this is how I communicate. This is how I look at things. Before you pay me, I want to make sure that you're happy with paying me. And I'm going to say these types of things. <laughs> and if these types of things are going to bother you because I'm going to talk about your business, then 
I'm not the world's best yes man. In fact, I'd be the world's worst yes man. I think that's important too. I take a similar approach. I try to meet with people first, get an understanding of what's going on. And if I'm not the best fit for it, I'm going to tell them straight up, I don't have that experience. I think though that I have this other person that I work with and I know he does really well or she does really well. Let me refer you to them because I think they're going to take better care of you too. And mm -hmm. I think that's really important, especially in the line of work that both you and I do, because that's a good way to easily damage relationships, your reputation out there. With that said, have you ever had a client that you work with and you don't have to give particulars whatsoever that might have been tough to deal with with that sort of news that you're breaking and they just didn't take it so well? And how did you navigate through that? Were you able to win them back or was it just something that afterwards you have to realize you probably have to cut your losses a little bit? I guess if the question is a tough situation or a tough client to work with, yes, was I able to mend the relationship or not? Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, I would say the toughest client I ever had to deal with was my first client. And this would have been before the time I started my current fractional CMO business. But the first client, there were periods of time without going into who it was and specifics where we would agree to something, I would write down what we agreed to, show them the paper. Hey, we agreed to this on this date. Yes. Three, four, five business days later, would completely forget the conversation happened. I would just go about the business as if we didn't disagree. This was the course of action. I would hold that person accountable and they would go ballistic. And it's just like, hey, either you're very forgetful and there's like a medical issue happening or you're gaslighting me. And either way, I'm concerned and I'm worried about you in particular in this instance. There were times where it was just like, I have a grandmother that, well, she actually had passed last year and she lived to be 91. So she's a very full life, great life. But for the last seven years, she had a severe stroke and was battling with Vernicki's aphasia. There's another aphasia that, but basically what that means is it impairs memory recall with speech. So she has these intense feelings and thoughts, but she can't articulate them. So like I've had to deal with that. That was my life for like seven years trying to deal with her. So seeing someone that doesn't quite grasp like what's exactly, they can't like communicate and grasp as a client who owns a business with a high overhead and, and payroll, like I treated them like that person, like an equal to me, like not as if there was anything wrong going on. And we butted heads really hard. And I just was like, either I walk away or you walk away. Mm -hmm. Which one is it? Yeah. Because it, there's nothing productive is happening anymore because we can't identify apples to apples. So that was the hardest and the first client. And it really set my boundaries and my limits on here are the types of clients that I will work with and will not work with. And it really broke my heart because I cared about that client a lot. Yeah. I hope that that client's doing well. But the nature of my business is I consult with and advise with people's most valuable and endearing part of their life, oftentimes their business. That's really something I want to get into now. Thanks for sharing all those thoughts, Ross, because I think it's really insightful to see and hear how you make those connections with people. And you definitely, just from what I have gathered, you are a very genuine person when it comes to creating those relationships with others. 
Tell me how you decided, though, to go specifically with small businesses, because let's face it, you could have worked with medium sized businesses, these large corporations to do the same amount of work. You probably be paid a heck of a lot more, maybe. Who knows? Maybe you might be more fulfilled. There's a whole infinite amount of variables with that. But why small businesses? What made you passionate about that? So a quote I like from a German philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, says, do or do not, you'll regret it regardless. That's paraphrased. I'm used to small businesses. Growing up, I had a father who was an entrepreneur who had small businesses and did commercial real estate for small business owners local to the area. That's what I grew up seeing. I worked in digital marketing for just about seven years before I went full-time self-employed into the private equity and fractional consulting space. I had primarily worked with small businesses. It was what I was used to. I got to see how much impact you could have on not only the small business, but the community and their families. So I like the impact and the mission. Medium business. I define medium business as businesses that are like 50 million and up to like half a billion. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a different parameter, but I've worked with one customer before that was over half a million and we were a boutique marketing agency. I was a part of that at the time. And we could have doubled in size just to serve that one customer's need. I felt like everything that I did, I was just a cog in a much, much, much larger machine. I never wanted to work for big businesses. I scratched that. I did talk with several Fortune 50 companies and I flew out, interviewed, but I made the final stage of interview, went to these big cities and I was just like, I'm getting severe anxiety being in this interview. I can't do this. As soon as I saw the office, I was like, I don't need the key card. I don't need the pod where you can take a nap. I don't need the mental health like cubicle. Like this place is not my style. I, I had experience with medium and large businesses. And I always fell back to wanting to help that relationship with the business owner and their corner of their community. Because big business is whole different animal. It is. And I have had my own experiences. You don't know this about me and my audience does, but I've been working with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in a variety of different ways for over 13 years as a full-time profession. So I have seen and have interacted with some of those people that are also, I'm on the other side of that table. They're coming in, they're giving their final presentation. We're making a decision based on how that presentation goes. It can be very nerve wracking to be on that side. And I have the utmost respect now for those people looking back because of what I do as a result, which leads me into my question that I have for you, Ross, is what are the values that you stand on? In other words, what are the principles that help dictate that drive that you have on a daily basis to help small businesses? Are there two or three of them that you can think of that really help you to carry you from day to day? I don't have core values per se hung up on my wall in my office, but I did have a conversation with my grandfather who I look up to quite a bit when I thought after my grandmother's, one of her original strokes, I thought was going to take her. She was a goner and I went to visit her and we talked about business for two hours. My grandmother was actually fine when I showed up. So my grandfather told me that his three rules of business were tell the truth, don't take shit. And give them hell. I love and that. 
And he was a, a farmer from Iowa growing up. Long story short, was in the U.S. Navy and Air Force for 27 years. Ended up getting his MBA and had like 500 employees by the time he was 37. He, he lived the American dream and he's very blue collar, small town, court like values. So I can remember those. You could say it different ways, like honesty and integrity and do your best. And I don't know how else you say don't take shit, but. Don't take it don't, at all. Yeah. Don't, I, I, don't, I, I, don't put up with anything that would be below acceptable. Yeah. Those I would fall back on as being core values that I adhere to. And it, it doesn't make you friends with everybody, but if you're friends with everybody, you're not really friends with anybody. I think your grandfather and my father, who's still alive, would probably get along because those are the sort of things that they would talk about. <laughs> I just, yeah. I kind of had a flashback for an instant of my dad says those sort of things. It had a lot more curse words, but I'll save them for later afterwards when we hit the stop button. But <laughs> Ross, the way that you have seen even the times in which your grandfather has gone through and started his own business venture and you are doing this business venture, which for those, again, reminding them that you do Thunderstock marketing. Have you seen a big shift overall in our culture when it comes to just being able to value the concept of marketing? In other words, have you seen a dramatic shift in what might be marketing as it is now, as it might have been like five years ago? Because Let's face it, we know that technology is one of those biggest drivers that you always have to be learning. You always have to be growing with that. So does that have a big influence on your business or is there something yeah, else? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm so lucky. I would say that, and this is completely biased, but I believe it to be true. I would say five years ago, people would still argue with me that newspaper and radio and television advertising would be a good idea. And I was screaming from the rooftops, like, it's a waste of your fucking money. And now you see these major uh, networks, like, falling off and complaining about podcasters having 10 times the views as their best talk show host. And, you know, from doing marketing and advertising and focusing on digital and really grassroots, scrappy, like, budget-friendly digital. The brands, the people that are doing it right, like The Rock and George Clooney and Conor McGregor, take their fame from being an entertainer and they put it into a business, which in those three instances would be liquor. And they make more money by being an influencer marketing for themselves. And they're understanding the rules of the game, which is attention is the new oil. You make more money off of garnering attention for your brand than you do from doing anything else. And you can do that on the internet. And you can't do that with these gate-kept Hollywood and Nashville, these like localities that you had to be at those spaces in order to make it big. There's a country music singer, Jelly Roll, who never signed a record label and just won three country music CMT awards and was on Joe Rogan. And he's just like, yeah, I know people that only get to make 10% of what they sell. I gave you 100 I sell just as much. My point about marketing and media and advertising to reel it all back is that there is a decentralization and there is this huge opportunity for small business. You don't have to get crushed by big business. It took COVID passing these regulations and laws 
to crush small business for everyone to realize in small business, they, they need to be on the internet. Like they were just holding out until like the meteorite almost hit them. My closing thought on that is it's never been a better time for you to be a small business owner in the United States, period. That's so encouraging. I feel like you could have easily said to me, and I would have bought into it too. You would have told me, Josh, I think that small businesses are going to go down the tubes. They're going to be having this big issue because of all these talks about recessions. I love the fact that you're challenging that status quo right now because I think that small businesses are going to continue to be the most important. Because they solve the need better than big businesses. Mm-hmm. That's and, the way it works. When you have a superior service or product and you have a way to reach customers, that's all you need in a business. Everything else is just legal back-end shit that you hire a CFO for. No offense to any CFOs out there listening. That's why we have the whole industry just based on back office administrative. Hey, you can call them and you'll get a live receptionist. I, I can't even think of the name of the brand that I hear that all the time on the radio when I'm driving around, but that's just a prime example. I have to make a quick plug for Charlie Anderson. Charlie is in Mechanicsburg. He has started his own podcast himself called The Champions of Small Business. I'm going to put a link in the show notes where I actually talked about this in episode three with him about the need to make sure that small businesses continue to have that voice in it. Because I think it's so important, and especially with what you just said, it is really pivotal. Ross, getting back to you, because <laughs> I had no, to make that good, plug. Man. I had to make that plug because that was really important. When you are living in small town America, because you mentioned that quite a lot about the rural aspects, because I know that you grew up in an area where I grew up for the beginning part of my life. Do you see a big shift as to just piggybacking off of that last question? Do you see a big attitude shift between what rural America thinks? as opposed to what corporate America thinks of small businesses. And if you do, tell me what you think needs to be done to change that from a marketing perspective, because I'm really curious now after you making that statement, I want you to really sell it to me now. <laughs> so rural America versus corporate America's perspective on small business. Correct. I would say that metropolitan areas did not respect rural America nearly enough. And also I'm in a real estate since 2019. So I also look at real estate trends and what's going on. If you look at what happened since 2020, the three states, I would say for the first 24 months of COVID that had the largest exodus were maybe five. Okay, I'll just say top five. California, Illinois, Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey. Wow. Densely populated, blue, like politically blue states. Uh, Chicago has like the majority that city is the third largest in the United States and it's like the Mecca of the Midwest. And you just see that, where are they going? They're going to Texas, Florida. They're like Boise, Idaho was the number one city to be a real estate investor in for the last like three years. They're going to red States that have a lot less population density that have a lot less regulation that are much more business owner tax friendly. And People are just like saying, you know what? I can work from home. I can work remote. I'm going to work where there's less crime and cheaper housing and more outside things to do and better weather. 
And it's just from a real estate perspective, the states that went red in the 2020 election, not to be political, again, it's just a fact. They are getting the most people moving there. And that's where tax dollars follow. The narrative of mainstream and corporate America can be whatever it wants, but the statistics are saying that small business is kicking their ass. And not only that, but startup business. Look at Austin, Texas, for example, startup hub of the, probably the world. It's now also the hub of barbecue. It's also the hub of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It is a fintech hub. It's a South by Southwest. It's a culture hub. That's just a bunch of people that are like, you know what? We love freedom. We love the free market. And we're not going to put up with shit and just figure it out on our own. I think you can't kill the American spirit. You can't kill the American dream. You can try. But once you have a taste of freedom, you don't really go back. And that's why every other country in the world looks at us as thought leaders. Everyone's like, oh, no, China doesn't take over. Yeah, okay. What's the migration pattern from an international standpoint? Are people moving to China to raise their families? <laughs> Are they moving from China to here? Like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not saying one's good or bad. I'm just asking you what's happening. Exactly. So, I think that follows. That Hopefully that answers your question. It does. You answered it so much more. Ross, we're getting closer to the end of our time, but I have one final question before I give you a few minutes to pitch Thunderstock Marketing and anything else you'd like to pitch. What would you say to somebody that is on the fence still after hearing this awesome conversation, which I mean it, this has been an awesome conversation to have with you. What would you say to somebody that's still on the fence of, man, I have this small business idea. I just don't think it has any worth. And I know it needs a lot of marketing behind it. What would you say to somebody to give them advice to finally push them off the cliff and make them do it? Do you have anything that you want to share? The definition that I think of when I think of someone that is smart or someone that is successful is someone who has done things. You can plan and you can think about doing and you can dream all you want. But if you don't take action, that's just not real. There, There is a probably a quote from, I want to say William Blake, that says, true desire cannot be restrained. If you really wanted to do it, you would do it. It sounds like you want to talk about doing it because you get some dopamine hits from talking about your idea. And as far as like a business, you just need to sell a thing to a customer and now you're in business. Just find a customer. And then to continue your business, you find more customers or you serve that customer more and more and more. That's how you grow a business. Like it's not that hard, but it is, it's not that complicated, but it is hard because it requires work. And that work is not just like intense effort one day. It's consistent applied effort over time. There's nothing to it. I mean, it took me, shoot, probably 21 months to be, you know, from starting a holding company, private equity firm, before we actually had one business that we owned. We had $0 valuation for 21 months. We had no funding. I was just marketing and I was just doing as much PR and sales as I could to get our name out there. We had nothing for 21 months. But then after that, in like 15 months, we had 10 plus million dollars of yearly recurring revenue. It takes time. <laughs> Don't procrastinate. Like if you want to do something, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best day time to do it is now. You make me feel better knowing that I'm in the end of month six going into the maybe this 21 month journey myself, knowing that I have hope 
And I know that it's just about persistent. It just takes one great customer. Yes, it does. You're right. Your whole life. Ross, this has been an awesome conversation. I want you to pitch a little bit about your company, Thunderstock Marketing. I also understand you have a podcast. I would love for you to give a shout out to maybe some people that want to go check you out too. So I'll give you a few minutes to do that. Sure. Thanks, Joshua. I would love to have you on the Thunderstock show too. If you'd be willing to be a guest, I would love the I would love a tip for tat. Yeah, pod for pod. I love it. I would take you up on that. (laughs) Very cool, man. My podcast is called The Thunderstock Show. You can find it on Apple or Spotify and probably a whole bunch of other podcast places. But the major ones you'll find it there. That's valuable brainstorms to enhance your life, liberty, and pursuit of property. A lot of them are solo. They're my brainstorms, and some of them are interviews. My main business is Thunderstock Marketing. I'm a fractional chief marketing officer that services business-to-business, small business owners that are doing less than $20 million a year and want to increase their net profit within 12 months. What I do as a fractional CMO real quick is I delegate everything but leadership. I help manage and lead the team. I also manage and lead the strategy, the plan. When it comes to execution, I'll help find the resources. I will take someone's business goals from the top line perspective of growth, and I'll help them become a reality within 90 days of a sprint plan. I'm also a licensed real estate sales agent with Iron Valley Real Estate at Lebanon. And what I'm currently working on there is I'm helping friends, clients of mine that have had the dream of being small business owners to buy cash-flowing existing businesses. These businesses through Iron Valley and real estate, oftentimes like laundromats or storage units or restaurants, the business is the physical location. So a life hack for a business owner is to own the real estate also. I use my real estate license in that sense. I'm a seasoned private equity mergers and acquisition professional. I, I also love helping business owners to buy or sell businesses. And I can help you to increase the value of your business if you want to sell. And I can help you find good deals if you want to buy. Ross, if we want to get in contact with you, can you share us a quick couple of things that they could reach out with you with? Absolutely. You can find me on social media. My handle on LinkedIn is jrossstockdale. My website is www.thunderstockmarketing.com. You can email me at j.ross.stockdale at gmail.com. And if you search for me on social media, the nice thing is the same headshot will apply and it will be me. So you should be able to find me. Branding at its best. Having it so it's consistent across. That is all awesome. I'm going to put all that plus a link to your podcast into the show notes. Ross, this has been an awesome conversation. Thanks for speaking your heart with us today. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Ross again from Thunderstock Marketing for being able to be on the show with me and really feature his business. And I really encourage all of you to go check out his website. If you are looking to get some help and getting some assistance with a small business that you have, especially when it comes to the variety of services he spoke about here, I definitely encourage you to do that. I love Ross's attitude during this interview in that It was very lighthearted, and then we got into, well, why Why is this happening? And we were joking around even before and after with this, getting to understand each other a little bit more. And I think that it's really important that we do find ways in which we encourage each other to create 
not only those values, not only for our small business, but also for the things that we do personally in our lives, because they all are interconnected. And I think Ross was able to talk about that quite well with all of us, because we are getting older. We have to be ready for this, as he was mentioning early on during the interview, that sometimes even age catches up to you about the things that used to be able to do, but now you are doing it for yourself. I've had that experience myself, talking about the many things that are happening in my own life, especially with family, with friends. Those are the things that at one point I was being mentored, but now I'm the one that's mentoring them because of the things that are going on personally in our own lives. I really think that it's important also for us to consider the fact that if we tell the truth, we don't take shit, and we give them hell, especially from what Ross's grandfather would say, I think that will help us all to get to one point or another from time to time. And I know that for many of us, those were old-style thinking of ways in which we were able to work through problems back then, and those are the things that we shouldn't do today. Well, I want to challenge you on that for a little bit, because I think it's really important for us to understand that we can adapt those same values in a wide variety of different, more culturally appropriate, even more societal appropriate ways of today. There are many techniques to do that. Coaching that I do works on those variety of ways without sacrificing the main principal message because, let's face it, sometimes we do have to get our point across because someone is simply not listening to what we're saying. And sometimes that hard truth has to come out. Ross talked about that, especially with working with some clients in which he had to break it down for them and make them understand the true importance of what he was trying to say to them. I have to do that from time to time myself with my own clients, pointing out some of the things that are really holding them back and making them start to process that. And it's not a easy, it's not a clean exercise. As a matter of fact, it's the hardest, most messiest thing you could possibly do. But you need to give universal respect. You need to be able to understand that there is a right way to do it and then there is a wrong way. There is a way in which we can be insensitive to some of the people that we are trying to help. And that is not helping you in your business. And if you are doing that, please reach out to me. We can talk about that. We can talk about ways in which you can reframe that conversation. You can help yourself to work on that plan by dealing with it in a different way, with a different approach. And it's totally all right to do that. I am always constantly evaluating myself in ways in which I have to work with others, especially even being a small business owner of my own. Each strategy that I do is not clear-cut, and I learned that the hard way, especially even starting out in my young business. But part of the things that I've learned in the 13 years that I have been involved with working is that it is not simply a button that you press on an email that can solve everything. You have to take some responsibility. You have to understand what is truly important for us to create some of that bracing that we need to do. And I love that term that Ross used. Bracing is getting ready for the news that is needed to be heard in our lives. It's a changing world. We get it. We see it all the time with all these different things that are happening. 
What is not happening is sometimes the things that we need to do because those are the things that are often pushed to the side. I know that it can be very tough for us to give that opportunity. And I've talked about that so many times in so many different episodes. And I almost sound like I'm a broken record. But do you see the consistency with each of my guests that I've had on so far sharing those aspects with us? It's not just about feeling comfortable. We need to be able to get comfortable in order to have a routine to create that activity that generates revenue, it generates friendships and networking opportunities. But on a personal level, it allows us to be bold. It allows us to be extraordinary. It allows us to be able to connect with person, places, and things. The very things that we learn in grade school that are called nouns. And nouns are the most important things that help us to generate some of the most influential wealth in our lives. No, I'm not talking about money. Did that go right to your head? No, don't think of it that way. Money is just the byproduct of all of it. When I talk about the richness, the ability to feel all everlasting and all feeling good inside, almost like a Cinderella story, it's about being able to feel connected personally and professionally and knowing so well that it is all working on one engine and everything is good to go to land the plane or to take off. Really, it's about having that true desire, what we really want to pursue, and sometimes finding that in the fog of an England night into the morning is really the toughest thing. I know that it can be difficult. It doesn't matter where you are living in this world. It is a challenge because that takes into account humanity, the emotions that we have deep inside of ourselves that have to think about what is needed so that we can brace for impact. Ross's marketing style is something that is truly remarkable. He's learned that from many different mentors and opportunities that has been presented in front of him and has created some of the most exciting wealth opportunities that anybody could ever have as a small business owner. But that's just it. He works with small business owners. He doesn't want to deal with corporate America, the biggest entities of the world. He doesn't want to go into cities. He's grew up in the country, the countryside in which I grew up, living on an alpine Nubian goat farm, being able to raise chickens, horses, cows, you name it. I probably had it because of my mom and dad one time or another. Ross definitely understood that, and that's why he created his own niche. That is what is important for you, to find your own niche. It's not easy. It takes trial and error. It's not always going to be clean cut. And that's why there are coaches and mentors out there waiting for you to embrace that opportunity when you're ready for it. And I hope you take advantage of it because of our interview today with Ross. I know that you can feel comfortable even as you get older. Because I know that for many of us, we do want to have that passion, that ability to move forward. And that is the key to unlocking true success, even if you are just marketing yourself. Thanks for listening to episode number 20 of Speaking from the Heart, and I look forward to hearing from your heart very soon. Thanks for listening. 
For more information about our podcast and future shows, search for Speaking from the Heart to subscribe and be notified wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit us at www.yourspeakingvoice.biz for more information about potential services that can help you create the best version of yourself. See you next time.